0: Welcome to the Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm Yusuf and I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud.
1: Hello and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Azure. I am back again this summer with Yusuf Koine. What's up, my friend?
0: Hey, Toby, all good here. So I've been on an adventure i'd say Uh, i'm looking for a new work from home office chair and the, the one that i'm currently using it's an ikea chair it looks nice but turns out that after a year and especially in the last six months mostly sitting on the chair for eight hours a day it's not too comfortable anymore so i spent about three weeks not full time but you know doing a bit of research on the side to figure out what sort of a chair should I get for my home office because I'm, I'm now estimating that I will be spending the next six to 12 months working from home, mostly. Yep. And uh, turns out that you can get a mediocre chair for about 100 euro, which is about $120. And, and there's not much else available. So, so there's these chairs that you've never heard of and they are really, really expensive. Uh, so I went through all the local stores, the, the different brands, the different importers. I tried a lot of those chairs and none of them really seemed to be that good, especially when you look at the price. Oftentimes the price would be 800 or 900 euro. Yeah, And, and I'm, I'm sort of looking into getting a chair that I could use for 10 more years. And on my estimation, I will be spending the chair for about fifteen hundred hours per year, roughly. Yeah. And I still haven't found any, but one of the shortlisted ones that I found, I went to the importer in in Helsinki that imports the Herman Miller chairs.
1: Yeah, that's the the Rolls Royce of chairs, yeah. right?
0: Yeah and I was really hesitant to even book the appointment because I felt they they really forced me to buy one and I I couldn't <laughs> couldn't d- decline that. So I went in there and they had all the different models available. I tried all of them and the Herman Miller uh, Aaron Iron uh chair it was really comfortable. But then again the price is 1600 euro.
1: Yeah, that's a lot. Um so what did you decide on? Did you get one?
0: Uh, not yet, not yet. So <laughs> I, I, I perhaps learned in, in in recent years that when I know I really need something, I'm giving it a month or two to kind of incubate the idea. And perhaps I'm getting one or not. And one of the things that, that's really winning me over to get one is that they're giving a 12-year uh, warranty and a guarantee on that one. So anything breaks, anything is not... Not in good condition, they will replace I mean, for, that. for
1: 1600 bucks. You kind of expect that,
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. And of course, I'm a bit hesitant that if I get it and five years later I start complaining that, well, you know, this thing is not working that well, they might say, well, that's that's normal, that's not part of the warranty, <laughs> yep. So, so, so <laughs> it, it's a sizable investment for sure. But yeah. uh, I, I'd say I'm giving it one or two more months checking out whatever else is available and if i haven't found anything better that's cheaper i might just go and get one
1: yeah and and my few cents on that is it is worth every dime to get a good cheer so the one i have i've had now for i think eight years or something like that maybe even more and it's very good very ergonomic i can tune everything there's a neck neck rest and there's uh, tuning for my back in different angles and levels, and for the armrest, like pretty much everything is adjustable. Uh, I think it's a Swedish brand, Um unless you know the brand is is global now. Perhaps I don't know, but they also make very good chair, and I think I gave about 800 euros for that, which is also quite expensive for a chair, especially if you're in Sweden. I mean, I have Ikea literally six minutes away from my house. So I can get to Ikea real quick and they always have great uh, stock of whatever they have. And I can get a chair from there for a hundred bucks. But like you mentioned, that is after a year, that's going to wear down most of the time. And I used to have those in the past, but putting $800 for for this chair has been the best investment in my office. I don't use a lot of cool monitors and gadgets and whatever. But I have a standing desk, that's from Ikea, and I have this chair, which is super awesome, and that helps a lot.
0: The uh, the brand that you mentioned uh, in Finland, it's also available, and it's SkinArps for us. And that's one of the brands I haven't checked out yet, so I'll be sure to do that as well. So, welcome to the chair episode, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's up with you?
1: So... On my side, um, like I've mentioned many times before, one of my hobbies and interest is spending a lot of time outdoors. So I've been growing cocktail tomatoes and I now have more than 400 tomatoes coming in the next two to three weeks. So I have in my house, we have three floors with two balconies and two terraces. And on one of the balconies, I'm growing the tomatoes because we have we don't have a big yard or garden or anything like that. But we have some some space on the balconies to grow. So. About 400 tomatoes coming and I'm also growing mini cucumbers and already harvested about 15 of those and have another hopefully 40 coming. Uh, So not entirely self-sufficient yet, but I want to be, Um, but I guess maybe I need more farmland in order to be that. Um, And also most of the water used to grow these things are rainwater that you can collect. And then it's using this solar powered irrigation system that I mentioned in uh, a different episode in the past so there's a device which uh, charges the batteries using the solar uh, cells every day and then two times per day it is dripping into all the pots to keeping the keeping the soil moist at all times so the tomatoes and cucumbers and also zucchinis i have they're growing like crazy so that's what i'm spending a lot of my time on fine-tuning the plants and the process and perhaps i spend more time on the process than i do the actual plants but it's i mean it's good fun
0: I read about these systems just recently because I was thinking of building perhaps something a little bit similar, and somebody had put a note that if if you're uh, growing anything at home, you should also put a fan behind whatever green stuff you have growing, and I was thinking, why do you need a fan for that? And the idea is that that way uh, your whole apartment can smell the same as what you're growing
1: oh (laughs) that's a good idea (laughs) yeah because the tomatoes does really smell uh quite nice it's a it's a pleasant thing to sit in the balcony and smelling the tomatoes not a bad idea i will invest in a fan
0: good good stuff uh okay so this episode is something a little bit different than what we normally do Uh, So for the past 40 or so episodes, each episode we've taken one Azure service or one approach and spent time on that. And now we decided to try out that what if we spend an episode here and there to go through any interesting Azure announcements and updates. So instead of just focusing on one specific thing, sort of highlight and, and, and talk about the different updates and announcements that we felt are useful to know and also if we could find any sort of additional insights on how these updates might affect us in the future. So uh, let's get started and, and any of the, the updates and the services that we're mentioning here, we'll make sure to add the, the links to the show notes as well. So the first one uh, is uh, Azure Cloud Shell, which is available in Azure portal, but you can also run that locally, for example, through Windows Terminal. So Azure Cloud Shell can now run in an isolated virtual network, and this is in preview. What does it actually mean?
1: Yeah, and I I really like this. Um, So if you're familiar with Azure Cloud Shell, you know that you can use the new Windows Terminal, you have a Cloud Shell there, Inside the Azure portal, you can launch the Cloud Shell and that's like a direct link to your Azure subscription or subscriptions uh, where you can actually maintain and work with your resources from the command line. So with the Azure Cloud Shell inside an isolated virtual network, which like you mentioned is in preview, you can now deploy the Cloud Shell containers into an Azure VNet and then you can control that entirely. So you connect to the Cloud Shell And then you're able to interact with the resources within that VNet. Because sometimes you put resources, VMs, app services, key vaults, whatever, inside of a VNet, and you block public access to those resources. But anything inside the VNet can access it. But if public access is blocked and you go to the Astro portal and you try to access it, you still cannot access it, right? Because you're not coming from inside the VNet. This way, if you launch the Cloud Shell from inside the same VNet, then the Cloud Shell also can access the resources. So now you can work with the resources inside of that private virtual network, which is pretty cool. So you can connect to, for example, VMs that only have a private IP, because otherwise that's a difficult thing to do. But now, deploy Cloud Shell into the container in the VNet, connect to Cloud Shell, and then from there you can launch that. And you can also run um, kubectl commands um, on a, a Kubernetes cluster, for example because usually that also has lockdown network access or it should have. And if it does, and you then deploy again, the Cloud Shell into the same VNet, you can work with that and you can run those Kubernetes commands directly from the command line, which is pretty sweet. Um, And of course you can connect to other resources security inside of the VNet as well. So that's a pretty cool update. It's still in preview, but I think you can just start using it and we'll put a link in the show notes or, or the show links for where you can look it up and how to use it, it's it's pretty slick.
0: And I think this is super beneficial for anybody who's built a lockdown network access, meaning all the VMs, all the assets that you have running are in a VNet. You're 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 uh, effectively disabling all traffic from the public internet on accessing those Vnets. You want to have your lo- own local area network in the cloud, and now you can have this. Cloud Shell, so that that helps you remotely access those private resources. Yeah, What do we have next?
1: So I also noticed that the Azure Firewall Manager is generally available, so a, a manager for firewalls.
0: Have you looked at that yet? No, I haven't, and I've been under the impression that you need Azure Firewall Manager if you have multiple Azure Firewall instances. And for me, I often just have one instance or whatever service I, I need to benefit with the fire for, for firewall instance from.
1: Yeah, and so the firewall manager, it's, it's exactly this. So if you have these multiple instances, you can centrally deploy and configure those uh, instances. And I really like that. So it, it spans across regions and subscriptions. And I like this idea, so you don't have to go into every single one uh, Azure firewall that you have. So it's a pretty cool update. Uh, it's GA. It is available in your subscriptions right now. So Azure Firewall Manager. Go take a look at that.
0: I'll definitely spend some time on this the next weekend. And if you've used it, is the idea here is that, let's say you have five different Azure Firewall instances, in perhaps in different subscriptions or regions, is the idea with the Firewall Manager now is that you can connect with all of those five instances and say, I would like to add this rule, and it needs to be identical on all of those instances.
1: Yeah, so it's pretty much it's a way so you can have central security policy and route management uh, for the cloud-based security perimeters that you have. Okay. So, so you can do that from this one place, and you can kind of trickle that down to the rest of your uh, firewalls, which is pretty slick.
0: Okay, and then we have a couple of new interesting updates on Azure Security Center, and I recall we did one episode on ASC, and that was months ago, so perhaps we need to visit that at some point again, but uh, one of those uh, main updates for ASC is the new recommendations to enable threat protection features. And this includes the advanced data security and advanced threat protection. Uh, So it's checking if you have advanced data security enabled for uh, at least for Azure SQL database servers or SQL servers hosted on virtual machines. And the ATP side uh, will check for Azure app service plans, the Key Vault, Kubernetes clusters, storage accounts, virtual machines, and so on.
1: Um, And I I really like this announcement because it shows, again, that Microsoft is really proactive with security. And security, as we talked about in the past, needs to be top of mind in everything you do. If you're a developer, if you're maintaining infrastructure, if you're an administrator, it doesn't matter. DevSecOps is here to stay, and you need to shift left and think about security very early on. And now with this uh, improvement in the ASC or or Azure Security Center, that helps us along the way to ensure that our resources are configured properly. And um, yeah, it kind of holds our hand in in doing a lot of these things. But we should not forget that we still need security training and security awareness. Uh, I recently read someone uh, writing about, I think on Twitter, how they don't need to know anything about security anymore because the tools they use, they guide them through everything. Uh, but that's, I think there's a problem in that statement and it's because then you blindly trust the process without understanding or being aware of the issues that can come up from that. And if you misconfigure some of those tools, you're, you're not protecting your data or you're potentially not protecting your data. So even though they're added features, please be aware and stay aware of security landscape and the security threats because they are ever increasing. These updates to ASC, awesome. And I really like that you can now just enable advanced threat protection. um, And they also include these quick fix. You know, if, if you've been in Azure Security Center and you get a recommendation saying, oh, you should not use HTTP, you should only have HTTPS. So only SSL transactions on web apps or storage accounts. There's a quick fix button saying, okay, enable that for my storage account or multiple storage accounts. Bam, it's done. These new recommendations that you just mentioned also come with a quick fix. So, if you do have an app service plan that uh, you need to enable ATP on, you can just click the quick fix and that's taken care of. Um, Now, of course, if you deploy a lot of resources from infrastructure templates, ARM templates, something else, or from code, ensure that you also enable it um, coming this way. So, if there are resources where you need to make a quick fix and then you deploy new resources based on an old template where that is not enabled, then of course it might make sense to update the template as well.
0: And often when I use ASC, uh, a lot of the things it's recommending, especially in standard tier where you're paying a bit more, uh, they will also incur more cost on your subscription. And this is sometimes a bit of a challenge to to get visibility on. For example, if you're enabling advanced threat protection for VMs and you have 20 VMs that cost Adds up real quick and, and you need to keep tabs on that That what are you enabling and how will it affect the overall cost and is this something you want to enable on all of your VMs or SQL servers or only on a couple of ones which obviously puts the cost a little bit more down
1: yeah and that's actually a great point and I remember one caveat here that is very good to keep in mind you might Activate ATP or, or the standard tier of security center and then enable advanced threat protection and maybe you don't have any kubernetes clusters Maybe you don't have any VMs, but you enable ATP and then it's not going to incur any cost because you don't have any resources that will cost you money Two years later or even a month later you add 60 VMs and three clusters Then ATP will automatically be enabled for those because you already enabled it on the subscription when you did not have any resources now you will incur costs in the security center for those as well. So that is extremely important to keep in mind. You don't create the resources and then enable it because if you enable it on the subscription before you had the resources, it will automatically be enabled for new resources. So add another 60 VMs, that's going to be 60 times whatever the cost is. So that's extremely important to keep in mind. So a good point.
0: Yeah, and then uh, two additional things for ASC. Uh, One is container security improvements, and the other one is an additional vulnerability assessment for VMs that are based on non-standard, non-marketplace images. Uh, Would you talk first about the container security improvements I can take the marketplace one?
1: All right. So in ASC, the container security improvement is a faster register scanning and refreshed documentation. And what that means is, because um, I'm using the ACR a lot, I'm using containers in Azure a lot. Like every day we push several updates. And every time we do that, we get a notification if there's any security alerts or vulnerabilities inside of that container uh, or that specific container image. So I might have multiple tags or multiple images and for every one of them, um, Azure Security Center runs a scan for me and tell me, well, this image actually has CVE vulnerability one, two, three, four, five, whatever the name is. And then it will give me a link, why it's an issue and if and how I can remediate that. Um, So the improvements here is the scan performance. That is significantly improved. And according to the announcements, it takes approximately two minutes to complete um, but you can expect up to 15 minutes in certain cases and I guess this is kind of a job insurance for the guy who wrote the documentation to to say that you know even if you don't see an update within two minutes just wait 15 minutes to see if something happens if something does not happen then maybe you need to take action um, but I like this performance because like I mentioned just now we publish containers a lot we have bunch of developers they're doing a lot of development and whenever we make um, you know incremental updates to our software, we push them out as different versions of containers and, and container images so we can launch them in a kind of different environments and now the scanning of that is a lot quicker so we don't have to wait uh, for the results of that. So I like that. And the other thing that they mention is the documentation around security centers' container security capabilities um, is now also heavily updated. So if you read about that half a year ago, it was a bit minimal information available about the capabilities of scanning container images. There's been good content available, but now that is entirely refreshed. And if you go have a look, again, the link will be in the show notes. There will be a lot of uh, updated information on uh, container security. And looking at the trends, AKS, Kubernetes in Azure, it's growing a lot. Also Azure Container Instances, the adoption of containers have been great as far as I can tell, but that also comes with the caveat that, yeah, the more you adopt new technology, the more security issues or um, security angles you need to be aware of. So this is a important and also very welcome update
0: around container security. The other one, uh, doing a vulnerability assessment on VMs that are not based on marketplace images. This is interesting. So the wording of the update implies that you can have your custom images that you use to build your virtual machines, and now through ASC, you can enable the vulnerability assessment which uses a third-party assessment tool called Qualys and i had a look at the at the actual announcement and from there there's a link to docs.microsoft.com and the wording is interesting because it says that yes this applies to custom images but not custom custom meaning that you cannot create your own vm from scratch and use the asc vulnerability assessment but what you can do is you can pick and choose any of the marketplace VMs and modify those, thus they become custom and you still have the support. So this yep. is important to to sort of internalize that custom images meaning whatever is available on marketplace that you modify, that's supported. But whatever you built from scratch uh, outside the marketplace are still not supported.
1: Yeah, that's also outside of the scope. I and I read the announcement the same way you did initially that Uh, It's for all custom images, so that's great. Whatever I build now, whatever I throw in there, it's going to be covered. But no, it's uh, marketplace-based adjustments or
0: custom images based on the marketplace images. And the next one is on Azure Storage Account, uh, where you can choose to allow or disallow uh, public access to blobs uh, in storage accounts meaning that you, when, when you create blob containers where you can store data, typically files, but perhaps something else, uh, you can now have this central setting for the storage account to disallow that nobody can set this container as public read, meaning that uh, accidentally it's not possible to expose any of the information you, you've left in the container. Uh, yeah, and this... And I, I... This is something I often use when I do trainings and workshops and I'm going through the basics of Azure Storage Account and when we're testing things, I often often have them leave the public access open for one select container that we then use to test something. But now if, if we set this to perhaps an Azure policy, then you'd need to have a different way of accessing those files.
1: Yeah. And I... I really like this. And I, of course, recommend disabling this access immediately unless you have business requirements that require that data to be accessible. Um, And the reason for that is multifold and multifold. And on one hand, it's because we see a lot uh, that accidental data leak uh, happens from, for example, Amazon S3 buckets or whatever they're called. It's usually the same thing. You have a storage container somewhere in the cloud and accidentally have anonymous access enabled. That happens for Azure storage account containers as well every now and then. And perhaps not with sensitive data, perhaps with sensitive data, I don't know. Um, So now we can control this on an account level, which I really, really like. So we can enforce it top down. And also if you dynamically then create resources, you can ensure that this is disabled by default. And we use blobs for a lot of things. For example, in Azure Storage Tables inside of a storage account, you can only store X amount of kilobytes in a row and X amount of kilobytes in every field in a row. But if we have a huge JSON object or something else that we need to store, the table storage is not uh, ideal for that because it can very quickly, very easily become a lot larger than the allowed row or column size. So then what we do is we put in the field, we put a reference to a blob, Uh, Item and in the blob, we put the full JSON. Uh, So we use that a lot, but this is used entirely in an authenticated manner, so we don't need the um, anonymous access. So this is extremely welcome news, putting my mind to rest because I both architect, um, secure, and operate a lot of cloud resources. Now I can just disable this on a, a global pattern. I can force this through everything we use. And if someone needs public access to blobs and storage accounts, they can. First, give me an argument, why do we need that? And if there is a business or product requirement for doing that, then we make an exception in this case. So that's very convenient and also a very important update to be aware of. So if you have no reason to use anonymous access for blobs, disable this right away, Uh, it's available right now. Um, I don't see a reason why not to do it unless you have explicit requirements saying we need specifically public anonymous access. Um, And a thing to note here is, you can still use SAS tokens, right? So you can create a a SAS signature saying, I need to access blobs with a um, read-only signature, and you can create that. You can still disallow public anonymous access, but you can use the SAS token.
0: But obviously with SaaS tokens, you have to generate those tokens first. You have to generate them, yeah. If you're used to just setting it as public, then you don't have any tokens, you don't have anything to to sort of manage, it just works, but that's the same as giving anonymous access to the whole world. And the last one, Secure Score API uh, is now in preview. And... This is interesting. So we have Secure Score as part of Microsoft 365, but then we also have Secure Score as part of Azure Security Center. And I'm a bit unsure if this is the same score or a different score, but at least now we have an API for it.
1: <laughs> yep. Um, and, and I think this is interesting to talk about because not too long ago, myself, I had um, a couple of security audits that I did And I do them for multiple subscriptions, multiple tenants. And I want to ensure that I can get the score and the information from there together with a lot of different things I do. I also use the Azure Secure DevOps Kit. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. It's definitely something we can talk about in a different episode. I use that a lot uh, to understand the security posture of all the resources we have. And then I have my own partial scripts for verifying a couple of security things and finally I have a lot of KQL queries to figure out the configuration and setup of a lot of resources when I do my security audits. Now a lot of that happens from PowerShell or is automated in some way and from PowerShell I can also call my KQL scripts and stuff like that. So that's very convenient. With a secure score API I can tie into that and I can tie in my secure score into my process when I do security audits. And I can more or less automate a lot of this um, to get API methods that allow the querying of data that is inside of the Secure Score. And then you can build custom reporting mechanisms. And I like that. So then you can integrate into whatever systems you have, or in my case, I dump it out into a CSV format or an Excel so I can build my charts or plug that into Power BI or whatever I need to do. Now I can do that using the Secure Score API as well. So that's pretty slick.
0: I had a quick look at the API definition. So it's a common REST API. It looks super simple. So you can get your score and then you can get a list of of everything you have as part of the score. So this is definitely usable through PowerShell, but also through any other platform where you would need to integrate your secure score as perhaps part of your reports or for testing that if your score is going up or down.
1: And you you also get the, uh, there's a subset of that API called the Secure Score Controls API to list the security controls and how your subscription scores and more. So that's pretty, uh, it's pretty cool. It's not the most comprehensive API I've seen, but I like the idea. And I like to be able to pull this data into my own systems or my own process. Whatever that process looks like for you might be different. uh, But I have my setup and I have my systems and I need to maintain and monitor that. This is just another way to plug in more data so I can stay more aware of a lot of things I do.
0: Yeah, I would, I would imagine using this, uh, back in the day when we would still go to an office, uh, you would often have the coffee corner and next to that you would have a TV that would show any sort of important statistics like the amount of open tickets or work items or number of calls we got yesterday. This would be one to showcase there that okay today our score is this and and yesterday it was slower so we are doing some valid progress here
1: yeah and i, I like that idea so you get the timeline in the dashboard saying you're yeah. you're improving or sorry you're not really improving you're you're making it worse <laughs> stop
0: <laughs> all righty so we went through uh fairly quickly quite a bit of new announcements Uh, from ASC, Storage Secure Score, as well as Azure Cloud Shell and the Firewall Manager. Uh, We'll put all the announcement links uh, in the show notes. Thanks for joining and until next time. All right, see you then.